Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. Hello and welcome to Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. I'm your host, Carly Florison. I'm a writer, a storyteller, and yes, certainly a history nerd. Thanks so much for joining me today. This is a great story for you today. It might not be quite as dramatic as some of the stories that I've told recently. It's no wreck of the Batavia, for example, but I really love this story. It's one of my favorites. It's just a a really good story about um, a real family who lived in Western Australia and who helped to shape this state into the place that it has become. And of course, there's some adventure along the way. There is some scandal and some romance. There's some the highs and lows of finding a, a great fortune. And there are some other adventures. So I, I think you'll really enjoy this story. This is the story of Lawrence Sinclair and Norseman. But before we get into the story, as usual, I would like to begin by paying my respects to the First Nations people of Western Australia. And in particular, the Noongar people of Esperance, which is where I'm recording today, and the Naju people of the Norseman area, which is the where this story takes place, or at least some of this story. The First Nations people of this land have a history and a connection to this country that goes back tens of thousands of years, and I want to acknowledge that and pay my respects to their leaders, past and present, to begin with. In some ways, this follows on from the story that I told recently about the dramatic rescue of Modesto Veraschetti. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and have a listen. It's a really great story. And so we're going to do another story set in Gold Rush country. This is the unlikely story of a horse that sparked off a gold rush. But it's also the story of an ordinary family starting out in poverty and striking it rich. But like all families, there are ups and downs, there are triumphs and tragedies. And I think for me, this story is also about asking the question of who we should be holding up as heroes from our history. So let's get into the story of Lawrence Sinclair and Norseman. So this story starts way back in 1854 in the Shetland Isles of Scotland when Lawrence Sinclair was born. Lawrence, or Laurie as he was often known, was the oldest son of Thomas and Mary Sinclair. In 1863, when Laurie was nine years old, the family migrated to Australia, arriving in Fremantle in December. They had five children by this stage and another another two who were born in Australia. In 1864, Thomas Sinclair started working as a prison warder in the Fremantle jail. But... In 1867, Thomas died, leaving Mary to care for her remaining six children. We're not really sure what he died from, but of course it was a really difficult time for the family and I can only imagine how how tough things were for Mary. At that stage, the oldest son Lawrence would have been 13 years old and so he would have been able to earn a bit of money at least, but it would have still been an incredibly difficult time and they undoubtedly lived in crushing poverty. Of course, there weren't very many social safety nets back in those days. It's a sign of Mary's strength as a person that she managed to hold her family together and that her children survived and that they ultimately went on to have good lives. So in 1874... Laurie Sinclair started working for the Dempster family as a shepherd on their property called Buckland, which is located just outside of Northam. Now, let me go back and give you a little bit of background on the Dempster family. If you're from Esperance, or if you've been to Esperance even, I'm sure you've heard of the Dempster name. 
But the story of the Dempster family really starts in 1824 when 14-year-old James McLean Dempster ran away from his family home in Scotland. Both James's father and uncle were shipbuilders. James seemed like an intelligent boy, and so his father was investing in his education. Of course, back in those days, not all children got an education, only the really wealthy or the lucky ones. But James didn't like the idea of becoming a doctor or a lawyer. He had been lured by tales of adventure on the sea. And so he stowed away on one of the ships that his father and uncle had built. He became a sailor. When he came home, four years later, after I'm sure finding out that life on the sea was not as not quite as romantic as he'd imagined, poor old James found that both his father and uncle were dead. There wasn't much more for him to do but go back to sea and maybe try his luck in another country. So James signed on as a sailor on board the Eagle, which was captained by Captain Charles Pratt, who was planning to emigrate to Australia. The ship was owned by Pratt's brother-in-law, who was also emigrating to Australia. James Dempster realised that this was a good opportunity, and so he emigrated to Australia with the family, where he continued to work for Captain Pratt, who bought the eagle off his brother-in-law. This was a really good time to have charge of a ship in the new colony of Western Australia, and Pratt was able to take advantage of this, shipping goods for the colony, transporting convicts, and just generally doing a lot of trading. Some of the most popular goods in the new colony of Western Australia were sugar and, of course, rum. The WA government charged a really high import duty on alcohol in particular, and at one point, Pratt was charged with smuggling rum into the colony of Western Australia. He also made himself pretty unpopular by refusing to take the official mailbags on at least one of his journeys. The WA government was also hoping to attract settlers to live in the newly settled colony, and so they were giving away land allotments fairly cheaply. It seems like a good way to set up a state, doesn't it? Move into a place that doesn't belong to you, take no notice of the original inhabitants, and then give away the land cheaply to white settlers. But anyway, Captain Pratt took up an allotment of land in the Avon Valley near what is now Northam. Captain Pratt had a daughter called Anne Ellen, and James Dempster and Anne Ellen struck up a romance. By all accounts, Pratt was a really difficult person to get along with, and he was against this romance. Despite the objections of Captain Pratt, James and Anne Ellen got married a couple of years after they arrived in Australia. James McLean then bought a ship of his own, the schooner Mary Ann, which he used for trading between Australia and Mauritius, as well as pearling around the Broome area and transporting goods throughout the colony. He also did a number of other jobs, such as working on Rottnest Island, farming on Rottnest Island and supervising the penal colony there. He managed Captain Pratt's estate at Northam, called Buckland and did a few other things. James and Anne Ellen had seven children, and eventually they took over the running of Buckland from Captain Pratt. Pratt's only son had died earlier in a boating accident, and so Anne Ellen was his only remaining child. Of their seven children, four were boys, James, Charles, who was known as Edward, Andrew and William, and three were girls, Anne, Jane and Marion. As they grew older, the Dempster boys started out working on the property at Buckland with their father, and they also went on several exploring expeditions throughout Western Australia. 
On one of these expeditions, they went by ship to the Esperance area and then came back overland, opening up a stock route from Esperance to Northam. They realised that this was good area and so they leased a large area of land near Esperance Bay, 304,000 acres, and then they bought sheep and cattle overland to stock the land. Again, taking advantage of the government's desire to open up new land in the state, irrespective of the First Nations people who already lived there. Andrew Dempster, along with his young wife Emily, came to live in Esperance to manage their operations here. They built a large limestone house, which was designed by Andrew's brother James, and that house is still standing in Esperance today on what is Demp- what is now called Dempster Street. The Dempsters did pretty well here in Esperance, especially to start with, although after a while their sheep got something called coast disease, which is caused by the soil in this area being deficient in certain, certain nutrients, such as cobalt. The Dempsters expanded their land holdings over time, exploring areas such as Fraser Range for better land. There is no denying that they were very savvy people and that they were good stockmen and unafraid of taking on a challenge. But there are certainly some more problematic parts to the legacy that the Dempster brothers left here in Esperance as well. Their success really came at the expense of the local Aboriginal people. Um, They dispossessed the Aboriginal people who lived in the area. And then after that, if Aboriginal people did things like kill their stock, the Dempsters would imprison them on the islands out in the archipelago. In fact, the Dempsters were at one point reprimanded by letter by the Western Australian government for the way that they treated the local Aboriginal people. The Dempsters responded with outrage that the government should be telling them what to do. And the government responded by saying, okay, sorry, fair enough, do whatever you like, just don't be too harsh. The Dempsters did have some good relationships with the local Aboriginal people. Andrew's children were good friends with the local Aboriginal children and apparently the Dempster children were saved from drowning on more than one occasion by the local kids. And Andrew and Emily Dempster also nursed local Aboriginal people when epidemics of measles broke out in the area. Although, of course, these epidemics were were brought to the area by the white settlers. Just by the way, most of the information about the Dempsters that I'm that I'm using comes from historian Rika Erickson's absolutely excellent, although now out of print and almost impossible to buy, book called The Dempsters. So the Dempsters left a huge legacy here in Esperance, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm not too sure that these are the people that we should be holding up as our heroes of local history. There certainly are some problematic aspects to their legacy here in Esperance. So anyway, let's get back to the story of Laurie Sinclair. So while he was working for the Dempsters, Laurie travelled several times between Buckland and the Dempsters' newly established Esperance property. And in Esperance, Laurie met his future wife, Julia Playle. Young, unmarried Julia Playle was sent to Esperance in around 1877, soon after her daughter, Selina Playle, was born. So, of course, you can put two and two together and assume that there might have been some sort of scandal. We don't know much about Julia's background. She was born in 1857 to parents John and Lucy Playle, and there's not a lot of information about the family available, by which it's pretty easy to assume that they were working-class people, because back in those days people didn't really write much about average working-class people. Julia's father, and probably also her mother, worked for the Dempsters at Buckland, and Julia also then went on to work for the Dempsters as a serving girl. At Buckland, she had a relationship with William Dempster, 
and she got pregnant. And we know this because the Dempsters kept pretty meticulous records and in one of their ledgers they recorded a letter that Julia had written to them, entreating them to keep their promise to look after her as they had promised they would. And there's also a record of Julia going to talk to a magistrate who advised her to take up proceedings against the family. Anyway, the family obviously decided that they needed to take care of Julia and they did this in a way that got her out of the picture for William by sending her to purgatory, I mean to Esperance Bay. She was obviously not considered to be respectable enough for William Dempster who married Maud Sweeting who was the daughter of a clergyman in 1878, the year after Selina was born. So at the Esperance settlement, Julia then met Laurie Sinclair, who by that time had been working as a stockman for the Dempsters for four years. Julia and Laurie were married in 1879, and Laurie took Selina on as his own child. Laurie continued to work for the Dempsters for a while. In the book The Dempsters, there is a note to say that he was receiving a salary of £35 per year. After a while, Laurie and Julia obviously decided that they needed a change of scenery and so Laurie, Julia and baby Selina left Esperance and headed to South Australia by boat. It was still nearly impossible to travel overland to South Australia at that stage. It had only been done a couple of times by explorers with full expeditions as well as by a small party from Israelite Bay led by John Paul Brooks, which is a really fascinating story, but that's a story for another day. In South Australia, Laurie worked as a farm labourer and Julia had five more children, Jesse, Lawrence Jr., Ernest, Julia and Bertie, who sadly died as an infant. Aside from lots of children and lots of work, it was a fairly uneventful time for the family. In 1889, the family left South Australia and travelled back to Esperance, travelling by boat to Albany and then overland to Esperance. Laurie went back to working for the Dempsters and Julia had three more children, Mary, Cecilia and Leslie. When Laurie was not working for the Dempsters, he found work sinking dams. There were more farmers moving into the area and they needed dams for their stock, but they were, there was also a need for dams for people who were travelling, especially um, when the goldfields opened up, people travelling from Esperance to the goldfields. In the meantime, Laurie's brother James had also come to Esperance, working for the Post and Telegraph Department. James had started out working as a messenger boy for the department in Guildford when he was 13 years old, and he was then transferred to Bremer Bay and then to Esperance Bay in 1878. James was eventually made the Telegraph Station Master in Esperance, although by that stage he was still quite a young man. In 1894... Laurie was carting goods to Coogardie, where the gold rush was just beginning. On his return, he went to find his brother George, who was prospecting in the Dundas area. Gold had been discovered in Dundas, halfway between Esperance and Kalgoorlie, a couple of years earlier, in 1892, and a small town site had sprung up. During the night, Laurie tethered his horse, who was called Hardy Norseman, and in the morning he discovered that the horse had poured at the ground and unearthed a piece of gold-bearing quartz. Now, this story's been told a few different ways over time. Most likely he just found the gold near where the horse was tied, but it certainly does make a much better story to say that the horse dug up the gold. But the end result was that Laurie, together with his brother George and their friend Jack Allsop, found a rich seam of gold in the area. 
They registered a claim and began mining the gold. As I said, this wasn't the first gold find in the area. Gold had previously been found about 10 kilometres away in what was called the Dundas Field in 1892, but it certainly sparked off a gold rush in the area where Laurie had found the gold. When the town of Norseman was established in 1895 for the miners who gathered there, it was named after Sinclair's horse. The Sinclairs were proud of their Shetland heritage and they considered themselves to be of Viking or Norse ancestry, hence the horse's name, Hardy Norseman. Laurie had some of his first gold from the claim made into a beautiful brooch for his wife, which I think is just a really lovely thing to do. And that brooch is now on display in the Kalgoorlie Boulder Museum. And incidentally, if you ever get the chance to go to Norseman, you'll see a life-sized statue of Norseman the horse by the main road. Laurie and his partners, George and Jack, sold their claim in 1895 for £6,000 plus shares in the company that bought it. That certainly makes the £35 a year that he was getting previously working for the Dempsters seem like a very small amount. Laurie then began speculating on building houses in Esperance, which was booming with all of the men coming through to go to the goldfields. Laurie was expecting that the town would grow even more when the railway to the goldfields in Coolgardie and Kalgoorlie went through. Esperance locals were lobbying the WA government to put through the railway from Esperance to the goldfields because otherwise you had to travel on very rough roads by horse, bicycle, camel or later on by car or motorbike. The WA government decided that a railway from Esperance to the goldfields would detract from the port in Fremantle, so instead they worked on putting the railway through from Perth to the goldfields. The railway from Esperance wasn't completed until 1927, which was probably about 30 years too late for poor old Laurie Sinclair, although some of us down here don't mind that Esperance has stayed a small town and a hidden secret rather than being a big city. Anyway, when the railway and the boom failed to eventuate, Laurie fell on hard times and he had to even sell the house that he had built for his family. His daughter Cecilia stated, After the gold find, Mr Sinclair, a very good-hearted man, found many newfound friends and finance from the gold find was very soon depleted. So after this, Laurie went back to what he knew, which was working for the Dempsters as a stockman. And he was known as an excellent stockman. After this, life continued on in Esperance for the Sinclairs. They stayed and they put down roots. In 1923, tragedy stuck, struck the family. Laurie's son, Lawrence Jr., was riding a horse at the Esperance racetrack when the horse tried to jump the rails and it fell on him. Lawrence Jr. was 39 years old. Although his mother, Julia, nursed him for nine days, Lawrence Jr. died from his injuries. Laurie was devastated by his son's death, and five weeks later, he also died. And while his sadness at the loss of his son may have contributed to his death, Laurie also had cancer, which was ultimately the cause of his death. And in all of this, I think Julia's story was probably the most significant. Julia Sinclair continued to live in Esperance and she became a well-respected and well-loved member of the community. She was also known as Esperance's first midwife and she helped to bring many people into the world here in Esperance. So from inauspicious beginnings, Julia Sinclair certainly made a great life for herself. 
She died in 1939 and she was buried next to Laurie in the Esperance Cemetery. Laurie and Julia's descendants still live in Esperance to this day and in the 1990s the suburb Sinclair was named after the family. As for the Dempsters, well they eventually sold their landholding in the Esperance area, although their legacy here is everywhere, with Dempster Road, Andrew Street, James Street and William Street being our main main roads, and also the Esplanade used to be called Edward Street after Charles Edward. There are also streets named after Emily Dempster, among others. Norseman has been a consistent gold-producing area since Laurie Sinclair's find in the area. Norseman Gold Mine is Australia's longest continually running gold mining operation. It's now a small town with around a 1,000 people living there, but it's also the gateway to the Nullarbor, as it's the first town that you get to when you come across the Nullarbor from South Australia to Western Australia. And so it's kind of a tourist destination as well, even though it's such a small town. Norseman is located in the middle of the Great Western Woodlands, which is the world's largest temperate climate woodland, and it's one of the world's great biodiversity hotspots. It's almost 16 million hectares in size, an area that's bigger than England and Wales. Even though it's been threatened by fire and climate change, it's so well worth a look when you're next in the area. It's a huge area, of course. It stretches from Kalgoorlie to Esperance and from the Nullarbor Plain in the east through to the Wheat Belt in the west. So it's an absolutely huge area. But there are some really good spots to visit. The area around Norseman is just beautiful and there are also plenty of national parks such as the Peak Charles National Park, Frank Han National Park and many others in the Great Western Woodland. So well worth a look if you're in the area. And so that brings us to the end of the story of Lawrence Sinclair and Norseman. And I think that when you're thinking about people who should be considered local heroes, I certainly think that Laurie Sinclair and Julia Sinclair, who came from difficult circumstances, worked hard and really made a good, kind life for themselves, they certainly should be considered local heroes in a place like Esperance and in Western Australia in in general. But that's the story. And so thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining me today. As always, I really love getting feedback. So if you want to get in touch with me, please do so. You can tell me you liked it or you didn't like it, or you can let me know uh, if you've got any corrections or suggestions. You might have noticed that I'm not really doing these stories in any particular order. I'm just doing them in the order that they strike my fancy. So if you've got any suggestions for what stories from Western Australia you'd like to see me tackle as well, then please do get in touch and let me know. You can email me on wildwapodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Carly Florison and I'm on Facebook. Just look up Carly Florison Writer. And, of course, you can also find me via my website, www.wildwapodcast.com. And if you're wondering, I'll also have some notes on that website, and including, some, including some of the references for some of this material that I've used for this podcast. Although, as I mentioned, a lot of the information did come from the book by Rika Erickson called The Dempsters. Just a quick shout out to my brother Micah Florison for the music, who did the music for the episode, and also to Caitlin Edwards who did the artwork. Thanks again for listening in today, and I'll see you again soon with another wild story from Western Australia's past.